Hi there, and welcome to another Brussels to Beijing Commodity Policy Podcast, where we examine how changes in regulation rules affect commodity markets across Asia and Europe. I'm Sebastian Lewis, Platz Editorial Director, coming in from our Shanghai office, and today down the line in our Singapore offices, I'm joined by Hongmei Li, Senior Editor, who covers steel, metals and bulks, and Yenling Song, Senior Analyst in our oil team. There's been a lot of fuss in the media recently about Chinese commodity exchanges and the surge in volumes and prices and also comparisons to what we saw in the stock market a year ago. And today I don't want to go over this. I think it's been very well covered. Hongmei, you've actually written a piece that's on our Platts blog that covers this very well. We've linked to it. But what I do think is interesting is how these Chinese exchanges, although closed to international offshore participants, are having such an influence on global markets. So today I want to discuss the role of these exchanges government policy around them and how they might develop in the future. Hongmei, what's your take? Yes, I would say that uh, both Stalin Commodity Exchange and Shanghai Future Exchange, in one sense, they are not really open to the international participants, which means that overseas companies will not be able to open an account at these two exchanges and then less they have independent companies in China. At the same time, I noticed that definitely China's exchanges have a lot more tools to use and a lot of measures to take into whenever the market is got too excited and they want to cut the enthusiasm in the market. And then we have seen plenty of those uh, measures kicking recently, such as, you know, you can increase the margins, you can decide on the daily caps of the price volatility, as well as uh, transaction fees and blacklisting some people that have been doing too much speculative trading. Yeah, I think that's what's been happening recently. I mean, I suppose what's interesting for me is that the government in China doesn't like price volatility. It prizes stability in many things, including commodity prices. And yet, I think, you know, the influence of those Chinese commodity exchanges had actually a huge influence on international markets, especially in the iron ore and the steel and metal space, where the exchanges came in and actually self-regulated, tried to cool down that, that activity. Yeah, I think what happened is basically, you know, as we saw the frenzy in the equities markets last year, the government also stepped in to try and cool that down. And after that, then, you know, there was uh, a need for all this large-scale capital to flow, and it automatically went into the commodities markets, which is what we've seen so far. And uh, a lot of it has been driven by uh, many independent and retail investors as well. It's pretty easy to open uh, trading accounts. You don't really have a need to have high deposits to be able to start an account. You can do it online. You can do it on apps. So it's what has been driving the recent speculative activity we've seen in the last couple of weeks. I mean, China says it wants to have more say in global commodity markets. You know, it feels as one of the world's largest buyer of many commodities. It should have more say. And yet at the same time, you know, it does like to interfere or intervene in these markets, which I kind of means that, you know, it makes it more difficult to be accepted as benchmarks by international players. Looking forward, Yen, what are the plans for opening up Chinese markets? Well, I think for the the exchanges, uh, they're seen obviously as an avenue to allow Chinese consumers to trade commodities in a direct manner, as well as on a broader level to allow entities to manage the exposure and future requirements of these commodities. But I think the bigger goal is that of financial reform, and these exchanges have quite a significant role to play as well as the Chinese market opens up. There will definitely be a need for independent pricing and valuation information for the key role 
raw materials that China consumes. And we'll be seeing, what, maybe oil or, for example, being priced off the Chinese benchmark? Yeah, so the Shanghai Futures Exchange has been uh, working at least for the last several years on a maiden uh, crude oil futures contract to be traded in the free trade zone under its subsidiary, the International Energy Exchange. Uh, this will be a delivered crude oil futures contract. You know, it will be uh, underpinned by a medium sour contract with physical delivery into bonded uh, storage in China. So far, they have uh, come up with a draft which calls for about seven deliverable grades. And the latest indication is that they will launch this by the end of this year. And do you think this could be successful? Do you see this as being accepted as a kind of benchmark for crude oil in Asia? I guess entities that trade products or commodities always like to be in control of these commodities that they rely on. And China believes similarly that because it is a significant buyer of crude oil, I mean, they've been importing 10% more crude oil this year, and by 2020, it could go up another 20%. So obviously, they feel that they have a right to determine the price that they pay for crude oil. And from their perspective, they prefer a local point of reference. So why should oil that China buys be priced off oil in the North Sea? However, you know, China is part of a global oil market. And, you know, the contract that is priced in China and priced in RMB may not be so relevant for other buyers globally. India, Japan, South Korea, other major Asian buyers as well, they probably will not find a CFR China contract as relevant as a global FOB contract. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I mean, if you look at the metals markets, I think the situation is slightly different. China is, you know, around 50%, half of global demand for copper, for iron ore, and for steel. And already we have people, Japanese and the Koreans, buying iron ore off existing physical benchmarks like Platz Ardex, which is CFR delivered China. Hongmei, do you think Chinese exchanges could actually replace these physical benchmarks? I think to replace the existing uh, benchmark or kind of a creating their own, you know, to, to do a kind of a separate market, it will be depending on a lot of things. As Yanning mentioned, the RMB definitely doesn't work well with the other countries. And also I would say China is quite new to the futures market where iron ore and steel are concerned. So there are a lot of things they haven't really figured out how to do and what to do yet. I also say that in the iron ore market, definitely you allow individuals to open accounts are kind of increase the volatility in the market because the individuals are not really looking for hedging purposes, they are purely for speculative trading. So with all this kind of speculative trading, it's really hard to work out the benchmark for the industry as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I wonder about this. I mean, obviously, it's quite early days for this, but I wonder if China actually does need to have its own benchmarks. I mean, I wonder if China shouldn't just participate more in the international benchmarks. I mean, that's already happened, for example, in Dubai, in Platz Dubai, where China makes up much of the trading volume. So in fact, I think China already is having quite influence in the existing international benchmarks. Yeah, so I guess ultimately maybe it's more important for China to play an active role within the existing framework instead and then um, look at how things develop along the way. Well, when it comes to China and its policies, there's always a lot to discuss. Thank you both Yangling and Hongmei. That's all the time we have for today, but catch Brussels to Beijing again next month for another Commodity Policy Podcast. Thanks for listening.